0: You might know the old hymn, know the old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus, it's pretty straightforward, it repeats that refrain a couple times, I've decided to follow, I'm not going to sing it for you, but repeats that over and over again, it's a song about um, a commitment to discipleship, a commitment to following Jesus no matter what comes, and that's that repeated refrain, I've decided to follow Jesus and it, it repeats over and over, no turning back, no turning back. It's one of those songs that gets in your head, like I remember singing it as a child uh, growing up in the church, and I, and I like it. But sometimes I think about that song, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And I get a little, a little uneasy, like I have a lot of questions. Uh, see, it's easy to, and I think we've all been there, if, if you've decided to follow Jesus before, it's easy to triumphantly declare, I'm going to follow Jesus for my With my life, I'm going to follow Jesus today. And it's easy to do that for like 10 minutes, right? It's easy to stay in that place for 10, 15 minutes. But then life happens. And by the end of the happenings of life, we oftentimes find that our best intentions crash up against the realities of life. Like we have this really wonderful idea, this bubble. I'm going to follow Jesus. But then life happens and then boop the bubble bursts, the bubble bursts, and it didn't even take that much to burst it, that's almost the depressing part, like, you know, it's like the littlest things get us off track from following Jesus, the greatest challenge I face in my discipleship to Jesus is that my intentions to follow him are fragile, right, intend as well as I can, intend with all my heart, but My own fragility is the problem. My intentions alone, I found over the course of my uh, trying to follow Jesus, but my intentions alone cannot actually make me uh, an effective disciple. Intentions alone are not enough. I need the means to become a resilient disciple, one whose bubble is not easily burst. Dallas Willard, and I I know there's been a, a disturbing lack of Dallas Willard quotes the last couple weeks, don't worry, I'm going to make up for it today. No less than four Dallas Willard quotes coming your way. Um, the reason for that is, is that just he like, is just so good on this topic, the topic of, of living as disciples, okay? So he says this, diagnosing the problem. It is part of the misguided and whimsical condition of humankind that we so devoutly believe in the power of effort at the moment of action alone to accomplish what we want and completely ignore the need for character change in our lives as a whole. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. We cannot behave on the spot as he, Jesus, did, and taught if the rest of our time we live as everybody else does. Uh, a pretty profound thought uh yeah and basically uh, it's just that we can't just by intention alone do this thing of following jesus uh, i'm pretty sure that a couple months back if you were around you noticed that we kind of updated our signs we updated our websites a- a- and we introduced kind of this new tagline it's not really a mission statement um you've probably seen it out front before you came in it says we are everyday disciples and that's it. I mean, like my heart for I-90 Church is that we would be everyday disciples, people who are following Jesus every day, learning how to do this whole whole life discipleship to Jesus. Now, if you hear in that phrase, uh, it's kind of a double meaning, then you get it. It's intentional. Um, we want to be everyday disciples every day, people who are being disciples Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but also Everyday disciples, you know, because those are two different words. Um, Everyday disciples, that is, disciples who are doing discipleship in the ordinary stuff of life. In the boring going to the grocery store. Dropping my kids off, uh, you know, I was about to say at work. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) One day. Uh, Dropping my kids off at soccer practice, you know, uh, around the water cooler at the office. At least when you get back to the office, I think probably pretty soon. In the everyday stuff of life, we want to be disciples as much as doing it every single day on a daily basis. Even when you get lost in your notes. <laughs> Simple as that idea is, um, I think for most of us it's kind of elusive. Like it's, it's hard to live as everyday disciples. And it has everything to do with the fact that um, despite our best intentions to follow Jesus without a meaningful plan to grow into Christ-likeness, to take on the character of Christ, to have a a, a process of transformation that starts from the inward and works its way out, our plan is just going to fail. Our intentions are going to fail without a meaningful way to to pursue that goal of Christ-likeness. And I think we just have to sit with that for a moment, if we could. Can we just sit with that for a moment? Just think about that for a second. Unless we are really thinking deeply and, and internalizing deeply of the ideas of what is involved in becoming everyday discipleships d- disciples, I think we will be frustrated. It's the nature of being a person that it's hard to live up to our ideals. It's hard to become the sorts of people we want to be. But we have a calling in Jesus. Actually, I'm just going to go off book here for a second. I was reading this this morning. This is 2 Corinthians 1, if I can find it. 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 16. You don't have a 17. You don't have a slide. It says, this is Paul speaking to the church. What I purpose to do, I purpose according to the... uh, according to the flesh, so that with me, there will be uh, a yes and yes and a no and no at the same time. He's, he's acting a rhetorical question. He says, am I the sort of person who just decides in my flesh to do something so that there is both a yes and a no, like a vacillation, an inconsistency between what I intend and what I actually do? He says, am I going to be that sort of person? And the answer is, is, well, no. He says, but as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many uh, as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him uh, is our amen to the glory of God through us. What Paul is saying is that Jesus has done such a work in him that he doesn't have this kind of dual life, this kind of Sunday, teaching, Holy Spirit-filled kind of part that's that's compartmentalized from his other part of his life, that disagrees, that is not in in, in accordance with what God has, has planned. What he says is but that by the promises of God, something has happened in him that has made him a consistent person, a person who has yes and amen to all the promises of God. Guys, that is the call of disciples, to be people who are just totally and wholly embodying this transformative work of the spirit within us not just on sundays not just in our good moments but even in the worst of times even in times when we're tempted and things are difficult we have these yes and amen promises from god that he's going to work out something in our lives and it's going to be beautiful and the calling of disciples is to lean into that And I think Jesus is decidedly in agreement, like he's decidedly in agreement with the idea that we have to become disciples in practice, not just in word and not just in part of our lives, but in all of our lives. He says this in Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. See, Jesus understood, he's talking to people who want to be disciples, who want to learn from him. He understood that being a disciple, one whose bubble would not easily burst and one whose life could withstand a storm, necessitates invol- it, it, doing something. It necessitates doing something. We have to practice. Disciples, according to Jesus, hear Jesus' words and act on them. Disciples hear Jesus' words and act on them. I think there's a, there's a slide for that. Um, something that we have to remember. That's what discipleship's disciples do. They act on Jesus' words. They need to do something. So what is this something that this disciples need to do? According to Jesus, it's hear my words and act on them. That's what discipleship, d- disciples do. They hear the words of Jesus and act on them. In, in so doing, they live a life and develop a k- kind of life that can withstand storms, trials, and difficulties. Again, no promise those things won't come. It's just that when they do come, you will find that you have a foundation if you live as an everyday disciple. Okay, and so the question then becomes right if if, if disciples hear Jesus' words and act on them, well uh, which words in particular uh, what are the things that we need to do to put into practice like how does that work out? Well, well, these words that Jesus speaks in Matthew seven, right the ones we just just looked at, they're actually at the very conclusion of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount uh, is is kind of the most succinct uh explanation of jesus's sort of sort of sort of teachings um he's directing so he's directing here at the end uh, of the sermon on the mount he's directing his disciples to put his teachings the ones he's laid out in the sermon on the mount into practice if they want to be genuine disciples so i want to challenge you guys this week um would you just take some time every day like everyday disciples and read the sermon on the mount it's just matthew 5 through matthew 7 it's three short chapters okay you guys Challenge. Will you accept? Yeah, some of you guys lie. <laughs> Lying is not what disciples do. <laughs> so I apologize that. I don't I was joking. So I mean, it's hard So look at Matthew five through7, take some time. Read those. They're not long. Read them throughout the week. OK, and then think about what Jesus is saying. Think about it. Because here's the thing, what you're going to see when you do that and I want you to see it for yourself, is that the things that Jesus commands his disciples to do, if, they are, if they're going to build their lives on the foundation, are not really simple things. They're really large things. They're not things that can, I think, th- they're not the sorts of things that can be done simply by intending to do them, right? Like, there's, we're going to come up with a problem in our characters and in our hearts. And what's, what's inside us, if we're actually going to accomplish and do, obey these things that Jesus teaches, we actually need some heart transformation because they're those sorts of things. It, it would be so convenient if Jesus would just give us some straightforward commands that we could measure and check, uh, check off boxes, right? But these are hard. Like, if, if Jesus said, man, to be a disciple, you just have to do 1,000 burpees a day, I would be ripped, right? But I've never done a burpee in my whole life. And if you don't know what that is, don't look it up. I do not encourage you to, to think about uh, that. Um, like, but that would be an easy thing to do, or or just, like, if Jesus said, oh, just give away 25% of your income, like, I could, I could really do that. It might be hard, but it's totally within my power, but some of the things in the Sermon on the Mount are not, at this moment in time, within my power, like, because my heart needs some work. My heart needs some transformation, the things that are commanded in the Sermon on the Mount are really jaw-dropping because taken as a whole, they paint a picture of a radically transformed person. Someone who is not just good at following rules or, or enacting a kind of strict discipline, but someone whose character and outlook on life has been totally transformed and renewed. People who love their enemies. People who serve those who abuse them and love them and care for them. People who have just like a totally different thing going on. If we hear Jesus' words... If we're going to hear Jesus' words and put them into action, we have to understand that we are being called to become a different sort of person than the person we are right now. That's the reality of of the Sermon on the Mount. To be totally transformed and radically transformed from the heart, that is our calling. And that's what Jesus will do in our lives if we follow this Christian path all the way down to the end, this, this way of discipleship, seeking everything he has. More Dallas Willard. We should be perfectly—I <laughs> don't know how to explain that—we um, should be perfectly clear about one thing: Jesus never expected us simply to turn the other cheek, or go the second mile, bless those who persecute us, give unto them that ask, and so forth. These responses, generally and rightly understood to be characteristic of Christ's likeness, were set forth by him as illustrative of what might be expected of a new kind of person. One who intelligently and steadfastly seeks above all else to live within the rule of God and be possessed by the kind of righteousness that God himself has, as Matthew six thirty three portrays. Instead, Jesus uh, did invite people to follow him into that sort of life from which behaviors such as loving one's enemies will seem like the only sensible and happy thing to do. For a person living uh, that life, the hard thing would be to hate the enemy, to turn the supplicant away, or the one who asks away, or to curse the cursor just as it was for Christ. True Christ-likeness, true companionship with Christ comes at the point where it is hard not to respond as he would. I just wanted to read that because I think it so underlies like the extent to which we are called. We are called to be different. We are called to be disciples. We are called to become people who are like Jesus. We're called to become different people. People for who it is difficult not to do the things that Jesus describes. People who have so grown into their identities uh, as disciples and followers of Jesus that generosity and forgiveness and love for our enemies just comes as a second nature thing. A nature that is received by the Spirit because of what Jesus did. Because we come into a relationship with him and that relationship just overflows and changes us, right? That's where that transformation comes from. It comes from being invited in to a dynamic work of the Spirit. Now, maybe you think that's extreme. Like, I, I get it. Like, I would love to think that's extreme. It would be far more convenient to me if I just thought, no, I really don't have to be like Jesus. I can just, like, let him be Jesus and, like, and, like, under, and, like, like be like, kind of like a mediocre disciple, and he's cool with that, Right? But what does he say? Like, what does Jesus say? Luke 6, 40. He says, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. He's speaking those words to disciples, people who come to Jesus as students, learners, ones who want to, to, to learn from Jesus. And what Jesus says, what is going on, what I am training you into, what I am apprenticing you and discipling you into is that you would be like me. First John two, four through six says this. The one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps my word in him, the love of God has been truly perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying, like, that's simple. In fact, we're going to talk about why it's hard, but we're going to also talk about some, some, some ways that we can actually grow into this, practical ways that we can grow into this today. But we have to have clarity on this, that we really are called to Christ-likeness. That is, like, the thing that we hold out in our mind, the vision that we have for our lives, that we should have for our lives. It's certainly the biblical vision that Paul had for, for people who are going to follow Jesus that he had for himself, like that Jesus had for, for his disciples. An everyday disciple is someone who is becoming like Jesus, and not in just like fits and starts, not just like haphazardly, not through uh, taking on just a set of strict rules, uh, but through having their character and their heart so fully transformed that they can't help but act on Jesus's words here. And I can't tell you how different that is from what I grew up thinking that discipleship was. Like anybody else in that boat? <laughs> uh, Maybe you're, uh, maybe you're in that boat, too. And perhaps maybe you're a little skeptical of what I'm saying. Again, I'm really pushing on this, this point pretty hard. Like, like if, if someone makes a, a really radical argument, really, which is really what I'm making here, I'm, I'm really holding up a, a very high standard. Uh, we really want to ask, is that true, or am I, am I being an idealist? Because if you're like me, um, spent time growing up in the church, you spent a long time in the church so far in your life, Uh, it it becomes easy to believe that while these like like wide eyes uh, wide-eyed ideas about jesus are really nice they just aren't really practical right and that's the issue we again we we come back to practicalities we come back to uh, like well what am i actually able to do my experience is that that i can't do this and in fact we start to believe that the gospel itself like the grace of god is just like an excuse for 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 not not to become uh real disciples you know what i'm saying like like the message, which Jesus says, says that I'm going to pour my spirit out in you, and I'm going to transform you, I'm going to call you, I'm going to make you disciples. We start to think, oh, what Jesus is telling me is he's actually excusing me from that because there's grace, right? And the great news is that there is grace. There's grace as we walk along this road to growth and, and, and try to take up this, this path of discipleship. We need grace along the way because you're going to find there's a lot of failure along the way. But, but just because there's failure and just because there's grace, which makes up for your failure and the difficulties along the way, doesn't mean that the calling isn't high. You know what I'm saying? It's not like we should take God's grace and say, oh, he's forgiving and he's kind and just so. I'm not even going to, like, even go down this road of discipleship because he doesn't really care that much. <laughs> it's not it at all. Like, I'm trying to teach my kids to ski. It's a little difficult. There's a lot of failure along the way. I need to have grace with my children along the way. But they're going to learn to ski. Because I am not doing this year after year after year, right? The plan is that they will one day be able to go down those hills all on their own, and Molly and I can just go ski by ourselves. That's the plan. My plan, I'm not as good of a father as Jesus, you know, as God is, right? I'm I'm terrible sometimes. I'll want to ski with them when they're good. Right? Right? I have grace, I have kindness, I train up my children. As, as we go, sometimes I'll lose my temper again, not like Jesus does, because Jesus is way better than I. I am, a way better teacher, right? But the intention, there's grace, there's love, but the intention is that there would be competency at the end, growth at the end. That's why, why we do those things. John Calvin, right, one of the leading reformers, he said this about Christianity. And this is really, like, if you can't believe me, then you probably got to believe Calvin because he's like, you know, He's a big deal. Christianity is a doctrine not of the tongue, but of life. It is not apprehended by the understanding and memory alone, as, our, uh, as other disciplines are, but it is received only when it possesses the whole soul and finds a seat and resting place in the inmost affections of the heart. We have given the first place to the doctrine in which our religion is contained since our salvation begins with it. But it must never enter our heart and pass. Uh, it, it must enter our heart and pass into our daily living, and so transform us into itself that it may not be unfruitful for us. The calling we have always has been for the church. Always has been understood that we would not that the, the doctrine, the beliefs, the grace, the understanding, the calling that we have from God is going to come out into our whole lives. You, Christian, if you're calling yourself that, if you're calling yourself a disciple, are called to let the teachings of Jesus pass through your everyday life and get down into your very soul. And I think, honestly, the reason that we have the most trouble believing that is because it is just a truly remarkable and wondrous thing that God would have anything at all to do with us. Just sit and think about that for a second. God actually cares about what goes on in your life. He cares about you day to day. That's the hardest thing for me to believe. That God gives gives even a thought to me is difficult for me to apprehend. But what the the gospel is, is that Jesus has come and he's opened up a way that I might have like fellowship with him. And that fellowship is going to be transformative to my everyday life. And I think about that and it's just so difficult to, to believe. But it's really the truth of what we're invited into. And we should not settle for less. In fact, we should stand in awe at the high calling that we have. So here's the question, and it's the only question that I want to focus on for the rest of this morning. How does it happen? How does it happen? That's really what we're going to be thinking about throughout this series. We're going to be thinking about how does this process happen, what are things that we can do to advance this process. I want to share this with you. It's, it's another Dallas Willard idea. It's called the Golden Triangle of Spiritual Growth. Um, and it represents a model of spiritual progress that, that Dallas Willard sort of argues with. And this is why, you know, I'm so focused on Willard this morning because we're really, we're really going to talk about this model over the next coming weeks, okay? Um, and I, 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 we're going to talk about it because I think it's really a good, accurate, and biblical presentation of what it looks like for a person to grow spiritually. Um, if we want to be people who have the mind of Christ, who are becoming Christ-like, then we need the three things going on in this golden, golden triangle. The first one at the top, I would say, is, is fairly well understood, right? It's the action of the Holy Spirit. If you are a, a Christian, particularly if you're like a kind of a charismatic-leaning one, which, which I count myself as— um, then you really believe that the action of the Holy Spirit is essential, essential for your, your spiritual growth. It's going to be what is going to be advancing you, a, a very essential part of, of what, what is required for you to become an everyday disciple, somebody who has had this work thoroughly done um, in your life. And we've been going through the book of Acts, and we've talked a lot about the Holy Spirit's work recently, right? So I'm not going to focus too much on that. But, you know, like I just like taught like nine weeks or something on on the work of the Holy Spirit. So go back and listen to that stuff. I'm not like poo-pooing that, right? Like I grew up in churches where they say, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit does stuff. Let's move on. (laughs) Like I really think that the Holy Spirit does a transformative work that we can't really account for. In my own life, the most monumental breakthroughs that have happened in terms of my spiritual development have come as a direct result of the Holy Spirit on His own just transforming things in my heart. God can and does simply straighten out bent things, He corrects what's wrong within us. Sometimes He heals the broken. And we are wise to seek him. We are wise to seek his presence and his work, his transforming power in our lives regularly. His work, his independent work, is important for our spiritual growth. But That's not the only thing that goes on in the life of a growing Christian. If we go down to the left, we see see another place where growth happens in the ordinary events of life, Um, and it's really just particularly in times of temptation, right? There are ordinary events of life when we face temptations and difficulties just through the normal course of life. That, that, that stuff happens. Um, and we're called in those moments to make deliberate choices, right? To, to persevere. James 1, 2 says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you're going to be a perfect whole body disciple, an everyday disciple, then you're. <laughs> oh, gosh. I just burped. <laughs> is this what getting old is like? Is it just, I'm, I'm just going to burp randomly in front of lots of people? Well, I apologize. So my very serious point, back to that, <laughs> um, right? So like when we go through various trials, if we want to have perfect, complete, like, like God's, God's work working out in our lives, then we go through trials and we endure them. We endure them, we're patient, we persist through them. That will create an endurance, it will create a resiliency in our lives. Romans 5, 3-5, through 5, it's, uh, and not only this, we exult in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. There are going to be moments of your life. That can be turned into growth points, pivotally uh, transformative moments, and they involve you going through difficult times and you consciously and intentionally choosing to worship God, seek Him, trust Him in the middle of all of it, right? Those are moments, and they're not just moments like, you're not just like proving yourself to God, you're actually changing and transforming your character in those moments. Those moments really matter. Going through challenges, being tested, overcoming produces endurance. It develops character. It spurs us on. But there's a flip side of those moments, right? Maybe you've experienced them. I know I have. What happens when I'm tempted in the course of my ordinary life, and instead of doing well, instead of persevering, instead of enduring, instead of making the right choice, I fail. I get angry. I do things I regret. I feel shame about the choices that i made right i become bitter i become mad at myself i become mad at god mad at at people whom god has created right you anyone else experienced that from time to time right moments of trial can be moments of growth but they're also moments of discouragement if when we fail For many of us, when it comes to temptations of ordinary life, it feels kind of like a crapshoot. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes I win. Sometimes I do the right things. Sometimes I lose. Sometimes I make poor choices. Sometimes we decide to follow Jesus. Sometimes the bubble just bursts. And there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason. Like, like if I like sat and I, I kind of tried to assess, like what, the times that I did well and the times that I did 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 poorly in the middle of trial. Like, I can't understand why. Like, what what what's the thing that changes the outcome? How do I change the odds? How do I become the sort of person who, when trial comes, when the temptations of ordinary life come up, how do I become the sort of person that consistently, right? consistently ends up making the right choice who will persevere in the middle of it because that's the question because right now i don't know my personal experience unless i'm unless i'm being transformed by the holy spirit unless i'm I'm doing some of the things that we're we're about to talk about then i find that when moments of trial comes like it's anyone's guess what's going to happen and we want to see that flipped we want to see us have make the right choices so, so, what is the thing that's going to change that? And I would say it's this third area of spiritual growth uh, taken along with the other two, right? And you're not independent from the other two, but all three of these things happen at once. But it's this third area of spiritual growth where um, we really are able to see the, the victory in the other things. And that's planned discipline to put on a new heart. Just having planned discipline to put on a new heart. We'll read Colossians 3. Those. Uh, Who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. See, we're called, and we hear this throughout the Bible, it's an ongoing theme, to put on a new heart, to put on the character of Christ. But it really begs the question, how? Because that's a great idea. Of course I would want to do that, but I just don't understand how. Well, I would argue that what Paul is arguing for here and what Christians have practiced for two millennia is the practice of disciplines, To change the heart. In the context of Colossians, he's talking about singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. He says these are the sorts of things that are going to enable and equip you to put on this transformed heart. There are things that you can do to change your inner life. And um, we don't talk about that as much as as Protestants, at least. Um, We don't talk about that. I just want to put it out here. Because what we're talking about are what are traditionally known as spiritual disciplines. And as Griffin knows, I hate the word discipline. I don't know what that says about me, but I just hate it. Because at least to me, what will, one, is just like so negative and so, such like a, a bummer of a word. But I think it's also categorically wrong because for, for, it just like misleads us about what spiritual disciplines are. Dallas Willard has a great definition of, of disciplines. He says this. Disciplines are activities within our power that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. Right? That's very simple. Things that we can do that can accomplish what we can't do. Okay. Very interesting. In other words, disciplines are, yeah, the things that you can do. I cannot, uh, I cannot uh, simply put on the mind of Christ. But I can do things like like worship the Lord that will have that effect in my life. I can develop a heart that is less prone to temptation. I cannot uh, develop a, a heart that's less prone to temptation and failure by trying harder, but I can, and this is just kind of like the mystery of worship and following after the Lord and being a disciple, is that I can develop a heart that is less prone to temptation by, by just pursuing the Lord and, and just seeking him, uh, by putting in these things in, into action. I can do the things that Jesus did, right? Like, Jesus lived a particular kind of life, Like he, he did all these weird stuff, like, go away and pray by himself. Like, he just, like, would be in a crowd of people, and they'd all be here to see him, and he would just, like, disappear. And the, the disciples would have to go, like, to some far-off place and be like, no, Jesus, you have to come back. These people are waiting to see you. Jesus was the sort of person, he lived a sort of life that was having an impact on him. He wanted and sought out the presence of God all the time. And when things got crazy, and when temptations came, and life got busy, Jesus was just like, I have a higher priority in life. And that is that I just need to be full of the Spirit. I need to be hearing from the Father. He was living a sort of life that would enable those sorts of things i know like we have this thing in our head we're just like well jesus is god and yeah 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 but if we look at you know philippians 2 and like we understand the nature of christ is that as he came the eternal logos like came took on flesh he says he kind of put down his divine nature like he put down a lot of the things that were like really, really contradictory, t- contradictory with, with humanity, and he took on flesh, and he became, in a lot of ways, like us. Not in every way. He's still 100% God, but he's also 100% man. He's dealing with the same sorts of weaknesses that you deal with, and the same sorts of difficulties. And so he lived a life organized around the idea of maintaining and developing a deep connection with the Father, a life of discipline. That isn't like hard discipline, but it is action taken up for the purpose of being close to God and enjoying his presence. In that he is a great example. In that he's like, we're called to be apprentices of him and to live the sort of life that he lived if we want to have the transformed character that he. I and you can do the things that Jesus has did. They, 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 they aren't hard things. Christians have done them for centuries. They're things like solitude. Jesus just said, the most important thing for me to be connected with the Father is just to be alone with the Father. It requires discipline to do that. Not, it's not, not difficult. It just requires the discipline to walk away, to remove yourself, to be alone with the Lord. Things like uh, study. Jesus studied. He knew the word of God in and out. He clearly was a person who had immersed himself in the scripture. He got away. He did that intentionally. Not a difficult thing to study the Bible. It's not. Hey, look it. Here, I'll give you one right now. Take it, right? And then you have it. And then you have everything you need to to actually read and study it. But he did those things. And those things, like, he didn't do them because, like, oh, God wants me to do those things. He did those things because they're transformative to people. They draw you close to the presence of God. Service. Jesus goes around doing good for people. He heals people. He cares about people. He, he lives a life where he is just like a, a vessel of, God's, God's, of the Father's will. Like He just, just does things. He serves other people. Fasting, Jesus was fasting all the time. It's a spiritual discipline taken up for the sake of just hearing from the Father so that he would be close to him and have nothing in the way and overcome the difficulties and temptations of life. He's fasting, he's doing a discipline, he's always worshiping the Lord all the time. We're called to worship the Lord consistently throughout Scripture and and called to pray. These are the basic things, things that Christians have, have been called to do. But here's the thing, we're called to do them. Not just think about doing them. Like, you ever, you ever, um, I'm not trying to call anybody out, so I'm not talking to anybody, I'm talking to everybody, right? Isn't it, like, hard to just, like, sing sometimes, like we just sang, you know? And sometimes we don't like to sing. Sometimes we just like to do it in our head. I think there's a big difference, though, from actually, like, saying the words or singing them, depending on how good you are. It's fine. You can just say them. But, like, like to, to do something to and to embody it, to actually practice it is so much different than just doing it in my, in my head. Sometimes I, I, I always feel um, awkward praying out loud. I've always felt awkward praying out loud, but I find that when I pray out loud, like I'm so much more transformed by the experience, right? I feel weird like sitting by myself and talking to myself, but I should just get over it because actually that sort of discipline, like, like taking up doing something for the sake of being close to Jesus, it actually transforms me. Um, For my undergrad, I went to Davidson College. Go Wildcats. No one's interested. Um, uh, My my junior year, our basketball team, they brought in a new player, a shrimpy little guy, by basketball standards. He's still like 6'2 or something like that, named Steph Curry. Oh, Now you know, right? And you probably know Steph because he's like the star player of the Golden State Warriors. And and just last year, he broke the all-time scoring record. Right? So he's like the most three-pointers three of any basketball player in, in their career ever. And he's still pretty young. He's probably going to keep going. Um, he's just an amazing player. How did Steph Curry get so good? He, he got good by, by practice, by practicing the thing he intended to do. What is practice? W- when it comes with something that you do with your body, it's just developing muscle memory. It's just muscle memory. And this is, this is terrible. I know. I know. I, I can count all the ways that this is not going to do anything. I don't know what I'm, what i anyways, watch him do it. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's good. That's good, right? But the thing about stuff crazy, he spends hours and hours a day just doing this. Huh. Huh. Right? So that when it's like game time and when things are difficult, he doesn't think about it anymore. He's just got muscle memory. He doesn't have muscle mass, by the way. He's not like a really built guy. He's not a LeBron James. Pfft, that guy. Uh, right? He's not like like super huge. He's, he's a little shrimpy guy, but he just knows how to consistently perform. He doesn't have to think about it. When he's under pressure, he doesn't think about it because he's practiced so much. He's developed the practices. He just does them naturally. You think about it, if, if Steph Curry just spent three hours every day just thinking about doing this, right, but not actually moving his arms, just got it. God, would that make as much a difference as actually doing this for three hours a day? <laughs> it wouldn't. You'd just be like, you'd be like oh, man, I practiced for like 12 hours this week. I'm so good. And then you're going to go, and you're like, oh, missed it. Oh, you're going look like, to look like me, right? Like, like you, to, to actually like do things actually trains us in the ability to do them in real life. And we live in our heads. I live in my head all the time. I think, oh, I'm going to worship Jesus. But uh, do I actually do it? <laughs> do I actually take time to get alone? Do I actually do the simple things that I can do to train my heart and see my life transform? That is just spending time with Him in like the real time of my life that actually takes up minutes in the calendar, right? It's so simple, guys. It's so simple. Like, we have this huge, high calling from the Lord, but we don't want to just put in the the discipline because we don't like the idea of discipline. But it's really just simple stuff like worshiping the Lord. Dallas Willard. The disciplines are activities of mind and body, body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. I love that. They enable us more and more to live in the power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself. And we yield ourselves to God as those who, that are alive from the dead and put our members, uh, our members as instruments to the righteousness of God, as Romans 6.13 says. I want to read that. I want to read all of Romans 6.13, Okay. Do not go on presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. The worship team is going to come up here now, but just to, just to think about this, I want us to meditate on this passage a second, because um, it's, it's just an insane thing. This is just crazy. Like how, normally when I think about my body, right? And the life that I live, just my every day going around, walking around life, I have a very low idea of its potential. <laughs> right? Like, when I wake up on a, on a Monday or Tuesday morning, like, I'm not just like, oh, man, I am going to live as an instrument for the righteousness of God. That's not the first thing that comes into my mind because I'm usually just like, can I just sleep a little more? Like, or can I, like, I'm hungry, or I need coffee. Actually, no, that's it. I need coffee, like, is the first thing, right? And I get so consumed going through my day that I am very rarely in the frame of mind of understanding what God is doing in my life and in my day and with my time. Guys, He has so much more for us. And if we would. Uh, just go beyond the intention, right? We do need the intention, have the intention to be everyday disciples, and then go on and start to employ the means to becoming everyday disciples, that is people whose hearts are totally transformed, people who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are enduring in the middle of difficulties and trials, and who are practicing, practicing spiritual disciplines, practicing the presence of God throughout our days, we will become, because God's promises are yes and amen and not yes and no, like uh, halfway, no, we are called to become people whose members, whose bodies are an instrument of righteousness to God. And we have such a low view of our everyday lives and such a low view of what could be accomplished in our lives as disciples and you know what guys Let's repent of that. I'm going to I'm gonna repent of that because I need to. Like it's something that I always need to just go on the work of just saying, no, God, like I have done uh, something wrong. I have misunderstood what you're up to. I have put you in this little tiny box and, and have this little vision of, of what, you, what you think my life could be like. And it is so much bigger and so much huger. Like you have such a bigger thing. And our calling, guys, our calling is to be people who have given ourselves so over to the work of God within us. And it's his work work within us we're responding to it in such a way that is having a thorough and integrative sort of work in us like your whole life not just your sunday morning like this one hour and 15 minutes um, that you spend here like your whole life could be full of god's presence your whole life could be the venue of god's action in you and then through you into the world so lord i just want to um confess that I so rarely, so rarely, shamefully rarely uh, have that view of my own life, Lord, and the time that I spend on this earth and the potential that it has to be full of your purposes, God. Lord, it's just my own weakness and my own failure to, to understand, Lord, but would you give me understanding? Would you give me understanding for what my life is for, my everyday life, And Lord, I just pray that on behalf of all of us, Lord, because I feel like everybody's in this boat, in this boat of just feeling like, oh man, we we like have these great promises from God, but how do we live in them? How do we enact them? How do we see them come to pass? Lord, would you give us a better vision? Lord, would you fill us with hearts that desire you? Would you you just teach us to be everyday disciples, Lord? Even as we go through these next couple weeks of of just going through this series, Lord, would you teach us how to actually become the people you call us to be, people who are building on the foundation, Lord? Lord, don't let us off the hook for having just a low vision of life. Lord, fill us up with your spirit. Lord, fill us up with with a better thing that we're seeking after, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.